Hi, I'm Holly. And I am Danielle. And this is the Spooky Hour. Hi, friends. Hello. Happy Monday. Yeah. In the future. In the future. (laughs) I was like, it's Friday, but right when you guys listen, it's Happy Monday. Yay. I love that you guys start your week with us, you morbid, morbid people. (laughs) (laughs) We thank you for it, too. (laughs) Banter's probably going to suck again this week. (laughs) Yeah. We have no lives. (laughs) Taylor Swift came out with, like, a really cool, like, folky, like, indie album, and I'm here for it. I've been waiting for this because do you know uh, the song "Safe and Sound" that was on the Hunger Games soundtrack? Oh my! I was li- I was like, this reminds me of it. The second she did that song, I was like, I need a full album of this. Like her voice is made for this genre. The album is beautiful. I was telling Danielle, it's not like Red is still her best album, hands down, one of my favorite albums of all time. But this album's like atmospheric. Like I just want to put it on in the fall with like a blanket and a fire and like pumpkin candles. It's just a cozy album. It really is. She I didn't pay us agree. to say this. We're just, we're really obsessed with it. <laughs> See, I'm not, I, I like Taylor Swift, but I don't really like her music. I'm not a fan of it, but I'm in love with this album. Her last couple albums sucked straight yeah. up. I hated her last two albums. Yeah. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the highlight of our week. Um, oh, can I talk about my shirt? That was exciting. Oh yeah. Raise some um, heck raise some heck so if you guys follow me on my personal account which i'm sorry if you do um i got this awesome shirt uh from an artist he's tagged also on my personal account his name is tyler thrasher i think is how you say it um he's an entomologist so he works with like bugs and plants and stuff but he did these shirts for the black lives matter movement that say raise some heck on it it's super super cute i've been waiting like months for it to arrive so i'm really excited um it so he originally set out to raise five thousand dollars and it blew up they raised seventy five thousand dollars that's insane um so he split it between a bunch of different charities there's a, a bail fund there was a trans activist fund um and then he made these little science kits for like underprivileged black kids in tulsa uh tulsa oklahoma i think that's how you say it tulsa i don't know um but they're these really cool science kits which i love giving things to kids so they can learn and play and stuff like that so that's what hooked me that's but yeah it's really cool um check him out or check out my personal account if you want it's not that cool but i talk about the shirt so <laughs> the shirt is there the shirt is there it's really cute and that was the highlight of my week because i've gone back to work and my weeks now suck <laughs> we should include them in our show notes yeah for sure mm-hmm. he's a really cool artist he takes like bugs and stuff and does some science and he like crystallizes them i don't know does if I've some shown you science no seriously science. he's like a mad scientist that's amazing <laughs> but yeah that was the highlight of my week do you have it's, anything exciting <laughs> uh, so i guess this is where holly got her idea from so her mom found a dragonfly in her pool oh and it God. was apparently supposed to be dead and holly's like i'm gonna put this in some resin yeah and then it <laughs> came back to life so she almost murdered a dragonfly in resin. i'm not kidding this thing was dead for hours we had it in my house for like four hours and uh i was gonna coat it with mod podge to like in order to encase it and i had it in my hand i was about an inch away from the thing about to spray it and i saw its head move and i was like you know how some things like move after they're dead i was like is, yeah. it, is that what's going on so i blew on it and like its wings started fluttering and its stomach was like going in and out like it was breathing and i was like fucking alive <laughs> we had a zombie dragonfly and yeah so we let him outside and he flew away 
amazing at least you didn't kill him so that's what matters that was wild yeah another day in my life <laughs> right <laughs> um but we're doing something kind of fun this week yes i'm super excited i've been waiting to do this yeah so do you want to tell them yeah, we're switching roles. We are. I'm going to take over Role true reversal. crime. <laughs> Role, I can't even say that. Yes, <laughs> that. Um, but I'm taking over true crime. And I'm going to be talking about something kind of spooky. It's uh, spooky-ish. 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 <laughs> this is my first like true crime one, and I don't know how Holly condenses shit, because you guys are just going to hear me banter <laughs> for the next like hour. So. I'm excited. I'm so excited. She told me it was like seven pages last night, and I was like, whoo. I'm not ready. Yeah, about um, this. But mine is like, so I'm really excited about this. I wanted to do it like the second we decided to do this podcast. So it's not a typical like supernatural story. There's no ghosts or aliens or anything like that, really. Um, but today I'm going to talk about spontaneous human combustion. Oh my gosh, this was <laughs> on my list. I'm so excited you're is doing it. Really? It. Yeah. I love that. Um, this is I, so for those who don't know, uh, spontaneous human combustion, which from this point on, I'm just going to call SHC or something. Um, it's a rare phenomenon where a person suddenly bursts into flames for no apparent reason. There's no accelerant involved, no real indicator of what causes these fire. There's just a pile of ashes where a human once stood. Um, so I think this came out in the original Unsolved Mystery series, like back in the day. Okay. Um, but I just remember being like terrified as a kid that I was just going to go up into flames on the playground one day. <laughs> and I wasn't the only one. I remember kids at school being like, oh my God, we're going to catch fire. So I don't know what show it was on that we watched as a kid, but it's haunted me for that long. Oh um, my gosh. Can you imagine like, like what, like being a child and just being like, I'm gonna like just be mad one day and all of a sudden I'm just gonna explode. Yeah, it's insane. Um, um so yeah, so it's it's entirely insane that someone just goes up in flames and is just like a pile of ashes in a matter of seconds. Uh what's even weirder is the scene around these fires. A lot of the time the person is the only thing that goes up in flames. So furniture, houses, carpets, bedding, none of that is burned with the victims. Uh, in fact, some parts of the victims remain untouched as well. Sometimes just limbs are left behind with the entire torso and head being reduced to ashes. Gross. Devil's work. <laughs> <laughs> literally um so one of these cases is that of mary reeser oh my uh, mary God, was... yes <laughs> yeah i'm so excited right now you guys i'm so no excited idea. you're so excited this is already so much fun um we're fucked up though wow um, <laughs> we're both sober like i'm i'm really sick today i don't know if you guys can hear it but i'm drinking water um i'm not gonna lie i smoked a bowl about half an hour ago oh, i'm not God. entirely sober um <laughs> just me then just me. not drunk though um, but yeah, so Mary Reeser, I love that you know her. Uh, so she was an alleged victim of SHC back in 1951. Uh, her ashes were found in her apartment in Florida one day with no real explanation as to what could have caused the fire. Uh, her remains were found in her armchair, which was also singed. She was reduced to mostly ashes, but one of her feet remained untouched and she was still wearing her slipper on that foot. Um, the ceiling above her was slightly singed, like there was burn marks on it, but the lower part of the walls, her bed, several piles of newspapers that she had, and the rest of the apartment remained intact. So it would appear as though Mary was the only thing in the apartment on fire. Um, the local police tried their darndest to figure it out, but they had to call in the big dogs. Uh, police sent boxes of evidence to the FBI labs, where they spent nearly three weeks examining it before coming to a non-conclusion. 
Um, FBI agents found no evidence that suggested there was lightning involved. Uh, apparently, someone said they saw lightning hit the building or like a fireball hit the building. And like, FBI what did the lightning go through the freaking ceiling? Just, just like went her? right through her like window or something and just hit her. I don't know. Yeah. No, uh, but no. the FBI said that did not happen. Um, all of the fuses in the apartment were still intact and investigators hadn't been able to uh, find any substances that could have started the fire. So no gas, no anything like that. Uh, their best theory was that Mary fell asleep while smoking a cigarette and her nightgown caught fire. This theory also states that because she was a larger woman, her own body fat kind of kept the fire smoldering overnight. Um, this is interesting because most cases of SHC actually do involve overweight people. So a lot of theorists believe that the fat is uh, part of the cause of it okay. really weird theory but it's we're gonna get more into that in a little bit um i don't know how science works but i i have a lot of body fat and i have yet to catch fire so i don't know if i believe this theory <laughs> um, so an anthropologist named william m krogman disputed this theory apparently mary's skull and her one solid foot were both found to be shrunken in size which is disgusting but according to mr krogman her skull actually should have exploded from the force of the heat not got and smaller so her her head should have just popped off essentially so it, it did, did but it but it actually like shrank uh they found it to be shrunken and her foot was also shrunken almost like mummified if yeah like, like shriveled up a little bit um so what caused this fire why did nothing else burn along with her there are several theories around shc but no real answer i'm gonna go through a few a few of those theories both sciency and supernatural and i'm gonna share one of my own with you as well uh, I'm going to start with the realistic theories because I know no one's here for that and I want to get them out of the way. <laughs> um, we want the spookies, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the lamest theory is that it's just a plain old fire. Um, according to Fire Forensics, many fires are self-limiting, which means that they put themselves out naturally because they run out of fuel. It's entirely possible to see only a rug, a bed, or a sofa catch fire without spreading to the rest of the room. Um, a direct quote from LiveScience.com, quote, because fires normally burn upward instead of outward, there's nothing Nothing paranormal is strange about finding uh, a victim in one part of a room burned to death while the rest of the room has little more than smoke damage. Fair point, but boring. On to the next one. <laughs> um, another science theory revolves around the person's diet. This theory comes from the case of Michael Faraday. It's an Irish name. I'm sorry. Um, a 76-year-old man who passed away of apparent SHC in Ireland in 2010. Uh, Michael was a type 2 diabetic, and actually many other victims of SHC were as well. Um, yeah. As I mentioned above, they were also overweight. Type 2 diabetes can cause a condition called ketosis um, when not properly taken care of. Ketosis... Whenever I try to science, I have the hardest time. <laughs> Your brain just, like, melts. <laughs> I, I was so confident in writing this. Uh, so ketosis creates these ketone bodies in a person which acts like acetone, um, otherwise known as nail polish remover. So while the acetone itself is not highly flammable, it could work with the excess body fat and methane, which is farts, um, to cause the combustion. So it's basically like a chemical fire type thing. A chemical fart. <laughs> a chemical fart fire. Isn't this fun, <laughs> you guys? Um, so the fat burns incredibly hot and incredibly long, which is which would explain why the humans would be found reduced to ashes. This usually only occurs in cremation scenarios uh, where someone's in a high heat for a long time and the ketosis could be doing just that. It actually takes five hours for a human to be completely reduced to ashes like that, which kind of works for some of these cases because the victims were found for after 
after like 12 hours or more. Some witness accounts say the person just up and burns in flames in a matter of minutes. So take that as you will. A valid theory, but okay, still they're boring. Just, they're just sitting there just like, it's fine. I'll just burn to death. Yeah. But- like it's, it's I'm going to uh, say one story at the end where like she's literally just sitting there and just pfft, so like obviously not five hours so like the science theories are fine i i I can see them but yeah and the one that so basically it's saying that they farted and they basically yeah so um if you have this this state of ketosis or whatever um so your body's producing an acetone like substance in your body and when it mixes with the methane so uh, you know if you're gassy one night it (laughs) combusts in your insides and then if you have excess body fat the body fat just is fuel for the fire for until it burns out basically um so my last boring theory is what's known as the wick effect uh similar to the above theories it also revolves around body fat which i just want to point out none of this is body shaming as i said i have body fat we all have body fat i'm just stating some facts um The idea is that the human body is like an inside-out candle. A candle has wax on the outside and a wick on the inside, whereas a human has wick on the outside, so things like clothing and hair, and wax on the inside, which would be the fat. I don't know why Uh, I thought. I literally just thought of, like, someone with, like, a literal wick at the top of their head, and I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) That's actually how it happens. They pull a rope out of their head and just light it. (laughs) They're actually a Teletubby. (laughs) Oh my god <laughs> oh, this episode's already wild um so yeah so if hair or clothing catches fire and the person begins burning with it the fat would melt and keep adding fuel to the fire so essentially this theory is saying it's an accidental burning caused by something on that person catching fire uh forensic scientist john de tested this theory using a pig um in 19 19- oh did you say no? I was like, Aw. oh, no. Yes, he did. <laughs> no. um, in a 1998 experiment that was televised on the BBC, televised. He wrapped, yeah, really weird. Um, I personally would not watch this. The BBC he, is like crazy though. So, oh yeah, they they used to do trials and stuff, didn't they? Yeah. Or no, that was Russia. Russia does a lot of trials. Um, anyways, on TV, he wrapped a dead pig in a blanket and lit it on fire. Uh, important to note, he used gas to help start the fire, which is not typical of SHC cases. Um, as he watched the experiment, the pig's body fat liquefied and added more fuel to the fire. By the time he put out the flames a few hours later, the pig was mostly ashes while the rest of the room remained mostly unscathed. Similar to the human cases, the dead pig's feet remained intact as well. Uh, limbs typically don't have as much body fat as the torso does, so they're less likely to go to burn as long, if that makes sense. So that's the theory there. Uh, a fair theory, but like I said, he used gas to start the fire. In in most of these cases, it's just, there is there's no nothing gas. there. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to the fun stuff. And I apologize uh, if anyone can actually hear my dog. She won't go upstairs, so she's just <laughs> squeaking. She's just squeaking away. It's fine. We love Kylo. Um, my dog just breathes heavy. If you ever hear him, it's like creepy breathing, like Michael Myers type or no, Jason yeah. Voorhees. Who's the breather? Uh, who's the breather? Both of them? <laughs> the mouth breather. Who's the mouth breather? That, that's Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, most cases of SHC occur when the victim is alone, but we do have some witness accounts to run with. According to these witnesses, SH fire, SHC fires uh, look and act differently from an ordinary fire. Some witnesses had said that SHC victims burn with blue flames and that water seems to make the fire worse instead of putting it out. Uh, this is important to note um, because that's something that's found in chemical fires. If you put water on a chemical fire, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So this kind of supports that whole acetone theory a little bit. Um, so I'm not sure if you want to call this supernatural, but there's a theory that revolves around energy and the power of one's mind. Uh, it's sort of like metaphysical, if you will. The theory states that someone's mental state actually causes a chemical reaction on a cell- cellular level that could ignite the fat in the body to create a chemical fire. So the idea is that the person is depressed, anxious, or just feeling negative in some way, and the energy affects them physically. Um, there are notes in some cases where the victim was depressed and in at least one case vocally said that they were suicidal. Um, so could the victims be unintentionally setting themselves on fire with their own crusty mood? Uh, it's a bit of a reach, but the fact that some of the victims were experiencing depression made me want to include it. That's absolutely the- crazy. They're just like upset and their brain's just like, okay, well, I'm gonna light you on fire. Burn! Yeah. <laughs> like that Elmo gif? Yeah. Gif? Gif gif? Whatever gif, you want to call it. Gif, gif. <laughs> uh, the next theory kind of continues this whole power of the mind thing, while also kind of being fun and spooky. Um, one of the paranormal theories surrounding SHC is poltergeist activity. Uh, troublesome spirits who want to create havoc and distress uh, that only makes sense that they would also want to play with fire. Um, those who are into spirits and such believe this theory because, well none of the science theories have really stuck like there's no real definite answer so why not a poltergeist right yeah um this theory makes sense because the fires are sort of paranormal in nature there's they're so strange and otherworldly and like i said there's no real reason to them so it only makes sense that an evil spirit is behind them and especially with them being so like isolated to one spot yeah exactly it's almost like the the poltergeist like set them on fire and then put them out kind of thing like yeah just timing um, it, just sitting there, just being like, yeah, okay, we're I good. Want one we'll foot left exactly, one foot. <laughs> yeah. um, so, gonna burst this bubble a little bit. Those who witness poltergeist activity are also known to suffer from mental illnesses or are in times of distress. This theory states that the cause of SHC is something called psychokinesis. I can't believe I got that out on the first try. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, The idea is that the mind creates the phenomenon by visualizing the fire before it occurs. So they're thinking it into existence, basically. So the fear of the poltergeist activity that they're, quote, witnessing puts the ideas into their head and the body sort of makes it happen. If that makes sense. So you're so scared of this poltergeist and you're like, oh my God, he's going to set me on fire in my sleep one night. And then your brain like sets you on fire instead. That's Um, crazy. (laughs) The brain is always out to get you. What the hell, man? Seriously. Um, So my last theory is that of my own. Um, Obviously, I'm a huge believer in all things paranormal, and I just don't think there's a scientific reason behind SHC. Um, My theory spawns from the absolute best episode of Buffy called Once More with Feeling. Um, In this episode, Sunnydale is mysteriously turned into a musical. Everyone would burst into song and dance. Yeah, you you know it. I was going to be like, are you going to start singing? Because you need to start singing. I might start singing. We'll see how this episode goes man (laughs) i'm not singing don't worry um so yeah in this episode sunnydale's mysteriously turned into a musical um everyone burst into song and dance at random and uh and some people would dance until they went up in flames and died side note the soundtrack's amazing if you haven't heard it yet please please do yourself a favor check it out highly go recommend 
Highly go recommend. That made sense. Highly recommend. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, these people spontaneously combusted. Um, in the episode, the deaths are tied to a demon from the underworld, and my theory sort of runs along these lines. Um, so yeah, basically, I think these people either harbored some sort of evil secret or made a deal with the devil or did something that would cause the devil or whomever is below to call their souls into hell in a burst of flames. I'm not trying to say these victims were bad people, but perhaps they did something to save themselves or someone else from a period of time, and it just was time for their payment. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, um, oh, I forget what they're called, but you make like literally a deal with the devil, and you're like there for like The crossroads, right? Yeah, and they come and get you. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's kind of my theory, basically. Um, I don't think we'll ever have a definite answer to the many questions that spontaneous human combustion leaves behind, but I am a firm believer that something paranormal is at work. I just don't believe that someone's going to burst into flames because they're sad and chubby, because I am also sad and chubby, and I'm still here. Um, <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end this episode with one actual witness account of spontaneous human combustion just for shits and giggles. Um, this is the case of Jeannie Saffer who was from london england she was 61 years old and um she had a mental disability that gave her the capabilities of a six-year-old so she still lived with her 82 year old father jack saffin on september 15th 1982 Jeannie saffin was in the kitchen when jack noticed a bright flash of light out of the corner of his eye turning to ask uh Jeannie if she had seen what that was jack noticed that his daughter was on fire she was sitting perfectly still with her hands on her lap and was completely engulfed in flames so not reacting at all not screaming not anything just chilling burning chilling in an effort to save her life uh her father disfigured his own hands pulling her into the kitchen and putting her in the sink um he was trying to put out the flames around her and he's called to his son-in-law donald to help um, Donald remembers him screaming, help, Jeannie's burning. Uh, Donald stated that he ran into the kitchen and saw Jeannie with roaring flames around her face and abdomen, and he called 911. Uh, in reports from the incident, uh, Jeannie's injuries were listed as facial burns, as well as burns to the chest, neck, shoulders, left arm, abdomen, thighs, left buttock, along with the sides of both hands. Uh, some of these were full thickness burns, so the skin was completely destroyed down to the fat tissue. Jeannie's face afterwards was described as horribly disfigured. Um, Don, uh, Donald claims that he saw flames coming from her mouth and said she was, quote, roaring like a dragon, although no burns were ever found in or around her mouth. Um, unfortunately, Jeannie did go into a coma and died eight days after the incident, um, so they were never able to ask her really what happened what the hell happened yeah um so pc marsden from the edmonton police station which edmonton is in england i was very confused i thought we jumped to canada for a second you're like hold on why is canada getting (laughs) there's a place called edmonton over there um so uh pc marsden from the edmonton police station in a report to the coroner's office stated that no cause for the flames had been found this report also states that the chair and the walls of the kitchen were undamaged by fire and smoke and that the closest source of ignition was a gas stove and it was at least five feet away from her at the time so Jeannie saffin's official cause of death was recorded by coroner dr john burton as bronco pneumonia due to burns which i'm not sure entirely what that is but i'm guessing it's some sort of fluid buildup caused by these burns yeah um this was reportedly the cause because the coroner refused the family's idea that the spontaneous human combustion was a thing uh when the dad and donald who was the brother-in-law um went to the coroner and said this is what happened he replied by saying quote no such thing 
Uh, so officials have disputed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, okay. officials have disputed the spontaneous human combustion theory, but both Donald and Jack exp- insisted for the rest of their days that they knew what they saw. Poor Jeannie had simply gone up in flames with no apparent cause. I would also like to That's note so that sad. the flames were blue in this case as well. It's the devil. The end. That's so crazy. I don't know about that case. Yeah, I didn't... actually witnessed it. Yeah, and there was another witness case, but it was um, it was hard to say because they also cl- one witness said that they watched the person set themselves on fire. Okay, um, but like several other witnesses said they did not see that. Yeah, uh, I believe it happened in Germany in like a public park. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I love spontaneous human combustion. I don't care if that's weird. <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating. I think you- it's wild. If it is like scientific and that stuff behind it the fact that you can like make your brain make yourself blow up is insane yeah i'm i'm genuinely shocked it hasn't happened to me yet. like 100 percent genuinely shocked. do you know in like tv shows whenever like someone from hell pops up and it's like big flames and then they show up in that room yeah that's what i picture yeah, yeah. that's what i picture. um so i don't know if i'm gonna post any of the crime scene well spooky scene photos but i did see some photos and it's batshit crazy yeah like, it'll literally just be dust and like two full legs like full legs shoes on and everything like it's it's bizarre i just i don't believe that it's something of this world i just don't believe it yeah no i can't wrap my head around that one that's fucking crazy i'm glad you covered it i'm glad that you were like excited about it that made me so happy (laughs) it's like nuts like it's it's just completely unexplainable and that's what is so fascinating about it yeah exactly so i was i was a little bit unsure because like technically it's not like paranormal i guess but when the second we said we were going to do this podcast i'm like if i ever get to do something spooky that's what i'm gonna do i have another one if case we ever decide to do a switcheroo again but we'll see a switcheroo i like that a switcheroo Switcheroo. (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're calling this episode the switcheroo the switcheroo oh my god done deal done deal um so i guess i was gonna say time for the spooky but i guess fucking not (laughs) yeah no it is a little bit spooky this one this one I'll just put a trigger warning right now. This oh whole boy. thing is very, very trigger warning. I'm not oh going to go into too much detail, but there's a lot. It's a lot. You are just all Holly right now. I am. I'm, I'm <laughs> pulling my best Holly that I could possibly do. I'm so excited. I'm going to talk about the murder of Elaine O'Hara. Don't so, know it. Elaine was born on March 17th, 1976 in Dublin, Ireland. Wait, on St. Patrick's Day? Yep in ireland yeah how cool is that i like her already (laughs) right um so she grew up with her two parents frank and lean and her brother john the o'haras were like just a pretty normal family they were very middle class they lived in a town called uh killiny people (laughs) in ireland watch pronunciation videos before we do things but today is not that day (laughs) i'm pretty sure it's uh killiny i'm we're going with it yeah we're going with it Um, it has the word kill in it so yeah exactly um elaine went to a private school along with her brother so they they were pretty well off like they Mm -hmm. weren't nothing crazy um so elaine had dyslexia which she managed to get like heavily bullied for at school unfortunately yeah and while in school one of her closest friends ended up dying in a car accident oh wow yeah and this actually spiraled elaine's mental health and pretty much she ended up having severe anxiety um she got 
depression and at 16 years old elaine had tried to commit suicide by cutting her wrists oh yeah this incident ended up getting her admitted into the psychiatric ward in a hospital um, which led her to meet professor anthony claire so anthony diagnosed elaine with borderline personality disorder so elaine had like a pretty rough go yeah in her childhood like mental health wise but she tried her best to be normal and i say that term very loosely yeah um but she tried so elaine joined support groups she tried leisure activities to help but she was still struggling to like stick with them like she would go and then like just abandon it completely but she was trying um but she did dream of being a teacher her mom was also a teacher uh so elaine got a job as a classroom assistant at a daycare and was studying to become a montessori teacher so she was doing she's doing her part she had her goals i Um, love that she like went like to get help and everything like that like i'm proud of her already right i'm emotional (laughs) i guess i'm i know she's gonna gonna die at some point so i'm just (laughs) it gets worse (laughs) so yeah um so people who knew elaine and her family all say elaine was extremely kind and very loving and extremely intelligent and even though she had like her setbacks she was still working towards her dream of being a teacher um so she seemed like she was on a good path Mm -hmm. um then in march of 2002 elaine's mother passed away um this was a huge setback for elaine um with her mental health so she she started um self-harming again um but she did go and see her psychiatrist about it um so even though she had like this major setback she still took it upon herself to realize that this was causing her to spiral and she seeked help so she was fighting um so she was very open with her family um and seek professional help told them about what was going on in her life um like i said before she was a fighter she had her hopes and dreams Mm -hmm. so even though she had these setbacks she still tried to continue with her life so she was she was independent and she was living alone in an apartment this is where things got a little bit weird apparently in 2008 elaine was speaking to her dad about having an affair with a married man um she said yeah she told her dad that this guy likes to tie her up and went on to talk about uh, BDSM Ooh, to her father. Spicy. <laughs> yeah. Not, not No kink say, shaming here. No, not at all. Not one bit. I'm just, this is the story. I'm not I would not talk to my dad about that, though, for sure. No, no not at all. <laughs> my dad's going to listen to this episode and probably murder me. <laughs> he, sorry, I'm going to scare him. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so safe to say her dad was a little speechless. Um, but the thing is with Elaine's mental health, she was known to make things up and say very vulgar things, um, because of her, yeah, because of her, um, borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Um, they knew they, she would say like outrageous things and they didn't always necessarily believe it. Um, so he, with her saying this, she wasn't, he wasn't really sure if she was telling the truth or if this was just like another one of her crazy comments. Yeah. But he like obviously like supported his daughter wholeheartedly like the family was absolutely amazing what would you even say if someone came up to you and was like my boyfriend whips me like what do you, how do yeah. you react you, i i would be like oh okay you enjoy that yeah you keep that in the bedroom <laughs> thank you but yeah so she was open with that stuff but they didn't know because they didn't know if she was being honest right yeah um so later on elaine's friends also said that she was extremely open about her bdsm and would actually like show them like cuts and bruises she received um and she also told them about this married man but they were like off and on and they weren't like yeah they weren't a real thing i guess um 
So on August 22nd, 2012, Elaine just got out of the hospital for a recent psychiatric hold. Um, When she got out, she went to her father's house. Her dad said she was extremely talkative and seemed to be doing like really well. Mm -hmm. Um, They decided to go visit Elaine's mother's grave. So her father said when they got there that Elaine was constantly on her phone and getting text messages. And at one point he got like kind of annoyed um, and asked her. Yeah, that's kind of rude a little bit. Yeah. Um, And just asked her to put her phone away. But other than that, like besides the text messages, she seemed normal. Like she seemed Mm -hmm. upbeat. She was very conscious of what's going on like she was good she was in a good spot Mm -hmm. um at around 4 p.m elaine said she was gonna go home um the following day she was volunteering at like a ship festival festival a ship (laughs) a bestable (laughs) god um a ship festival in dublin city um her dad ended up like remarrying to a lady named sheila hawking or oh this is what you told me yeah yeah that's funny um so sheila was actually she actually lived across the road from elaine's apartment and she offered to drive elaine to the festival but at around like 7 p.m that night when elaine went home um she noticed that elaine's apartment was like pitch black there was no lights on um she didn't think much of it she just assumed that she went to sleep early because they had to get up early to get there Mm -hmm. um so she texted her that night just to say see you at 7 a.m because she was gonna drive her but she didn't get a reply so the next i'm too paranoid i'd be banging on the door instantly right i would freak out you answer me right away (laughs) um so the next morning august 13th 2012 sheila parked her car in front of um elaine's apartment and texted that she was there um but didn't receive anything so sheila went up to elaine's apartment assuming that she just slept in she knocked on the door no answer um so she kept trying and eventually had to give up because she was going she had to go to work um, so on her way to work, she called, um, Elaine's father, Frank, to tell him that Elaine didn't answer the door. And so she didn't drive her to that festival. She doesn't know if she's at home, like sleeping in, just didn't hear I can't her. Believe she didn't knock on the door still. Right. Or um, knock down the door. Just break in. <laughs> so they had their concerns, but at the time they were thinking Elaine at this point is a 36 year old woman. She lives a pretty good independent life. So yeah. maybe she either just got another ride and didn't tell anyone or she was just literally asleep like out cold wasn't answering um so frank called elaine later that day still no answer he then texted her and i quote are you alive oh god no response oh no yeah yeah (laughs) i hate that yeah like i get it like i get why parents would be like that but at the same time the way my parents raise me all the time the way my parents raised me they would be i could literally be asleep and they would break down my door yeah and I'd be oh like, oh god, if I don't answer my mom right away, I get question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, and then I get a call, and then I get a question mark and a call. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a scary world, and our parents know it. Um, so the next day, um, because Frank didn't hear from his daughter, um, he went over to her apartment and got inside. I'm not sure if he got like someone to open the door, or he mm-hmm. had a spare key or something. Um, when he got inside, he didn't find Elaine, but he did find her iPhone plugged in. Um, the phone she's literally attached with, like, it's at her hip yeah. all the time. So he started panicking. Um, he called the festival, and they said she didn't show up. He called the hospital um, just to see if maybe she went back there. Um, they said the same. She's not there. Um, oh, no. Yeah. He, went, he then went down to the local um, Garda station. So the Guardia station are um, they're the police stations. That's what they're okay. called. Um, so there's different ones, kind of like what we have. We have Durham. We have Pe- Peel. We have 
Toronto. Yeah, like municipal versus whatever, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So going forward, I'm just going to call them police stations because I'm not pronouncing that word again. (laughs) (laughs) You had one chance, guys. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Um, So Frank filed a missing persons report. Um, So Elaine's family started doing their own investigation at this point. Um, The last place Frank was with Elaine was... um, at their her mother's grave Mm -hmm. so they wondered if she went back there uh so they went to the graveyard and actually found there's like a park just adjacent to it so in that that part they found elaine's car in the car they found random stuff but they also found a phone charger that wasn't for an iphone so a completely different phone that she's not known to have and elaine yeah like i said elaine's not supposed to have that phone like they don't know what whose phone it is um And this is where panic really started to set in. Um, So Elaine's mother's death was like extremely rough on Elaine. And Elaine just got out of the hospital. The graveyard is right beside cliffs. Um, So they were starting to worry she might have committed suicide. So yeah, they were getting pretty worried. Um, So the cops and her family ended up searching Elaine's apartment and they found some pretty crazy shit. Um, They found whips, chains, handcuffs, latex outfits all relating yeah all relating to bdsm her brother john also found a notebook that had websites of bdsm um like there's websites out there where you can like sign up it's i don't know i didn't look into it to be like a like a partner kind of thing yeah exactly interesting like like not a dating site but like a tinder for the bdsm world yeah kind of like that. that yeah that works um but also a printout of hunting knives and a oh. printout of Google Maps to Kruger Wood, which is the woods that is right beside the graveyard or like oh. down the way. Yeah. Okay. Like how awkward. It would yeah. like imagine like being a parent going into your missing daughter's <laughs> apartment and finding all this stuff. I would be like, I am invading her personal life. Yeah, no, for sure. That's yeah. a lot. And then you're like, I'm sure parents there's a lot of misconceptions about bdsm exactly um, there is. and a lot of people would immediately go to like oh my god she's being abused or something yeah whereas as long as it's consensual it's it's gucci you know yeah this is one of those cases where you might get the wrong idea about bdsm but what i'm saying going forward has nothing to do with bdsm it's yeah. not that community let me i'll just put that out bdsm right is a very safe community guys there yeah. there's rules like if if you're feeling unsafe in a bdsm relationship then you're in the wrong bdsm relationship yeah exactly and that Boom. is going forward i just want to put that out there that yeah that this is one of those ones that is not a good one um <laughs> this is a big i'm sorry episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm i'm tipping on or tipping on toes tipping on toes yeah i like I'm, it <laughs> i'm leaving it tipping on toes um so elaine's family um were starting to wonder if this had any of anything to do with her disappearance but because she was so open about this stuff with her family even though they didn't necessarily believe her um but obviously seeing all this stuff they're like oh she's not lying so they weren't sure what to think they were like this is just her personal life like this is what she's into mm-hmm. or is it something to do with her disappearance they weren't sure at the time um the police ended up taking a few phones and a laptop from elaine's apartment um it was all sent to the police the police's computer crime investigation unit um they found extreme text messages but were related to bdsm um, the name in the phone was either master or sir. Um, and these messages, I am not going to read them here. They are online. <laughs> I'll read a few of them, but there's some of them are really descriptive and I just didn't want to include them. 
Um, I don't think I'd want to hear you include them either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty brutal, but I I mean they're in a way that this isn't a normal BDSM relationship. Yeah. Um, but so you can see them online. They have released them. There's a lot of news outlets that release them. Um, but some of them are like, and I quote, you are going to be stabbed. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. no, that's not BDSM, guys. No. Uh, but the weird thing is these messages actually like stopped months before Elaine's disappearance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the cops downloaded CCTV footage from her apartment because we know out that, out that way they have freaking cameras everywhere. It showed Elaine getting home at 4.29 p.m. with her dad, and then it showed her dad leaving a few minutes later, and then Elaine left the house right after. Like, a few minutes after her dad left, she was out the door. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, she was wearing a blue tracksuit. Um, the police had a massive search for her. The Coast Guards were involved. There was helicopters searching the cliffs. They found nothing. They extensively searched for three days. I think it was, like, three or four days. Um... The police did focus on the graveyard, though, just because, and like the adjacent park, just because that's where her car was found yeah. and where she was last seen alive. Um, they ended up talking to a guy who was jogging in the park, and he actually saw Elaine the day she disappeared. Um, he said that she stopped him to ask for directions to a nearby bridge, and this bridge went over train tracks, which eventually led down to the shore. Um, at this point, yeah, but the bummer about this is this at this point, the case went cold. They didn't oh. find a body. They found no trace of Elaine, no clothing, nothing. And given her history, it was kind of suggested that she did commit suicide. Yeah, especially like asking for a bridge and yeah. yeah. So the case didn't close, but it just went cold at this point. It kind of yeah. went down that list. Like it's not that. I'm going to fast forward 13 months ahead of time. So September. Time machine. Yeah, time machine. September 2013, so this is 13 months after Elaine's disappearance, a couple of friends, Mark, James, and William, were fishing off of a bridge in Wicklow. They're just like anglers. They do it. I'm not sure they do it for a job, but they were, they were there. Um, <laughs> it was like uh, the part they were at was like at, uh, was at a reservoir. Um, okay. The water was really low that year, so the guys were like chatting on the bridge, and they noticed when they looked down like a yellow rope. So the guys oh. decided to try and, like, reel it up. They ended up pulling up a woman's vest, a blue hoodie, a yellow rope that had three sets of handcuffs on it, leg restraints with leather straps, and oh. a mask with one of, like, the ball gags in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guys were, like, hella weirded out and decided to, like, stop because there was more stuff down there, they oh assumed. My. Yeah, so they stopped. Uh, they decided not to, like, pull anything else out, and they kind of just, like, left it on the bridge and left um they assumed, didn't call anybody <laughs> yeah they they thought it was like from like a stag party like one of those okay like yeah. they, that's what they just and someone just abandoned it there like yeah. that's what they assumed fair i mean i'm again too paranoid i would call somebody and be like yeah. oh well they did they did end up so okay it, it didn't sit well with one of the guys and apparently like, like the following day he went back down to the bridge collected the items and took them to like the closest police station um james o'donohue was the cop on duty at the time and took the items he actually went down to the lake a few times to try to see if he could retrieve any of the items on his third attempt he actually found a set of keys on the keychain they found um, a store card for dunn store which is like a supermarket over in ireland um so james called the company and found that the keys belonged to elaine o'hara he also found a nokia phone 
<laughs> so James actually enters all of this information to a system called Pulse. So Pulse is the police's system used to track crimes, missing people, etc. Like everything is put in this. Interesting. Yeah. So at this time, when he found this store card, this was his third time going down. So on the third time, when he entered this stuff into Pulse, two days before that, they found Elaine's body. Which is what I'm going to get into now, which is mm. a weird fucking coincidence. Three days later, after Mark had taken these items from the bridge down to the police station, about twi- 12, 12, 12, twive, uh, twive, <laughs> <laughs> twive, um, about 12 miles away in Kruger Wood. Um, oh. Yeah. A lady was walking her dog in the woods and um, her dog, Millie, ended up taking off and coming back with a bone. Oh. <gasps> She thought it was just an animal bone. Bad Millie. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so she just thought it was like an animal bone. And a few days later, oh. she was in the same spot. And she so she took her dog through the woods again. Um, this time, Millie didn't come back. Uh, so she decided to go into the woods to get her. She ended up finding her and also found more bones, which she also thought was an animal because it wasn't, there wasn't like no skull there or anything. Yeah. It was just bones. Um, there was a lot of deer in the area, so you never really know. Um, this lady actually knew the landowners, so she uses this land for her dog walking service. So she went to them, like went to the owner, the landowners, and got them and brought them back to the area. Um, when they searched the area, they actually found even more bones, and they also found a blue tracksuit bottom. Oh um, no, she was wearing a blue. Mm. Yeah, and also a jawbone. So they immediately called the cops. Um, they ended up finding something like sixty percent of the bones of the body, wow. but they didn't find the skull or the hands. So the autopsy um, that was conducted found out that the remains were female between the ages of 27 and 40, and the body was there for about a year. Wow. Yeah. So the police... chills. Right? <laughs> so the police used their pulse system, like I mentioned earlier, um, and since they had, like, the time frame of how long the body was there for, they were able to narrow down a few people that were missing in the, the pulse system. Um and that's when they came across Elaine O'Hare's missing person. Um, so they got access to her dental records and used the lower jawbone that was uh, found, yeah. and it was a match. So when this was all happening, James O'Donohue, the cop that was searching in the reservoir, mm-hmm. he was he was searching at the same time. So everything was happening in coincidence. Like all of this was coming up to light, like right, right. at the same time. Yeah, because that's when, really weird, actually. Yeah. So because when they entered that her body was found, he went in the pulse system because he found her keys and realized that they just found her body. Wow. So now it's all connecting. What it's are cool. the odds of that? Eh, you find like one set of evidence, and then like this lady wasn't even a cop, just a random person found like the other half of the evidence yeah. essentially and all within three wow. days yep crazy after, after that long too yep so now they have all the items found in the river and now her body and so this went from missing person to a murder investigation yeah. real quick um so the police ended up reaching out um to the public for any information regarding elaine um there was a woman that reached out to them i didn't get her name unfortunately but um, she was staying in the psychiatric wing. wing. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she was staying in the psychiatric wing with Elaine at the t- at one of the, her times. Yeah. Um, Elaine had told her about a married man in the BDSM and that she was extremely uncomfortable and scared. Uh, this lady had told Elaine to keep documentation of her encounters with this guy, which she did. She wrote like journals of everything that was happening wow. as like a way of protection, and she did do that. Um, and there was also a nurse who came forward. 
she said sort of the same thing. So she tried to get Elaine to go to the cops, but Elaine refused um, because this man was married. He had children and she was worried about what would happen with the children because the children were very young. That makes me so sad. She seemed like such a good person. Right? She's so, like, so nice. So, yeah. Cares about everyone else. She just got a really shitty card. Yeah. But the nurse couldn't report this because of patient confidentiality, unfortunately. Um, So, police were able to go through all of Elaine's phones. I think they ended up finding, like, five and her laptop. And they went more in-depth than before. So, they started recovering deleted files and everything like Mm -hmm. that. Um, They were able to retrieve a ton of evidence. Uh, There was very disturbing photos of Elaine and, like, murdered women. Um, Oh. Yeah. They also found... together? No. Oh, okay. There was, like, a file of, like, literal, like, dead women with, like, organs everywhere. It was disturbing. That's not BDSM, you guys. No, it's not. Um, They also found that Elaine was partaking on the BDSM websites. Um, They found, like, her accounts. Um, So she would sign up for them, and, like, it's kind of like a match site, I guess. Yeah. Um, So they were able to backtrack this activity to 2007. Um, This is where they think it started. Um, They interviewed eight men that had some sort of contact with Elaine through these websites. Two of the men had actually met up with her in person, but in their interviews, they said what she wanted to do was just too extreme for them. Oh. Um, Both of them said that. Yeah. And they both had alibis for that night that went missing. So it wasn't like it was not them. None of these men that she met. Um, Police also had CCTV footage. I believe they went through like 5,300 hours of footage, which is it's like that's insane Um, i can't even do the math on that (laughs) i'm pretty sure it's like 200 days oh jesus give or take okay um they found one man who was going to her apartment quite frequently however he would cover his his face from the camera every single time he would walk out and he would also cover the elevator number so you couldn't see what numbers he was pressing not suspicious at all not at all no not one bit and he knew where all the cameras was which is annoying yeah Um, in going through, like, Elaine's devices, police ended up finding a shit ton of text messages from a person named David in Elaine's phone. They realized her phone was backing up to her laptop, so they were able to access it all on her laptop. Oh, good. Um, one of the texts read, this trigger warning, I'm just going to say it all episode. Um, <laughs> one of the texts read, and I quote, I'll take your clothes, stab you, bury you, leave your clothes in your car by the sea, looks like you drowned oh my god yeah so david just turned into a fucking prime suspect like largely (laughs) yeah so on march 25th 2011 elaine actually received the first text from this david and it read and i quote old friend used to play together miss it terribly want to catch up david so apparently she had a bdsm relationship with this david but it ended in 2008 but they ended up getting back together so he ended up reaching out to her again wow yeah i don't like him yeah, I, he's I don't. He's, he's a fucking dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> and his name's not even David, but he's a dirtbag. I'll get to it. Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist, yeah. Um, so this David likes to stab women and like seeing blood in one, of, in, in one of his texts. It read, I'd like to stab a girl to death one day. He also said that he was going to stab her. Um, so there is a ton of back and forth text messages. So if you want to read them, again, they're out there, but trigger warning, extremely disturbing. Um, Elaine had said that she didn't want to do that anymore, like her response in the text messages, and that she didn't want to be stabbed anymore. So she had been stabbed by this David guy previously. Yeah. Um, but she kept saying no to him. Like in the messages, she kept saying, I don't want to be stabbed anymore. I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not into that stuff anymore. But 
they ended up getting back together and she kind of like just got wrapped up all in it again Um, yeah in the text he basically used her mental health against her and manipulated her they're really this makes sad. Me sad this case is sad this, uh, yeah I, I it's time for me to ruin your life now yeah you're welcome get a drink tonight <laughs> so police were actually able to track down where this phone was purchased it was bought in 2011 and two hours after the phone was purchased a text was sent to elaine the phone only ever texted or called elaine's number the name was registered to the phone as guron Casholm, and the date of birth was 1992 so they were unable to find anyone with that name. No one in yeah. that has that name. Um, so it's an alias. Um, they were able to ping the locations of the phone where it like had been. Um, and they noticed it was commonly pinged in Fox Rock area and Bega Street area. So the police assumed that the person sending these text messages lived or worked in South County, Dublin. Because the phone was purchased with like a voucher. So there was no tracking. They couldn't, they couldn't figure out who bought it. Um, so most of these texts were regarding BDSM relationships, like between him and Elaine. However, at one point, Elaine received a text message saying, and I quote, I was up flying and had a peek. It was like in regards to like a dead goat that he saw. There's more texts, but I didn't want to include them. (laughs) Yeah. So police immediately started looking at registered pilots in the area. They didn't find anything. Um, and in these texts, it also, like, it showed the dates the he, these text messages were sent. So you can get an idea of when this person was flying. Um, and one of the texts actually read, and I quote, terrible 15 pay cut and came fifth in flying. That's when they realized they aren't looking for a registered pilot, but someone who probably flies model airplanes as a hobby. So they oh, tried, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, they tried fly fishing, couldn't find anything. They tried, like actual like pilot racing didn't find anything yeah. nothing connected and someone one of the cops was like well what about like model airplanes like as a thing because there's what like, a random thing to think of. <laughs> right but thank fuck he did yeah there was a local flying club club in the area where elaine was found um they found i've never heard of this before <laughs> ireland is a, is a treat <laughs> um so they did find one and because of the text this guy sent they were able to pull a register of that weekend's competition and they found that Graham Dwyer had placed fifth in the competition that weekend. They looked him up in the Paul system and found where he lived and where he worked, which was Fox Rock and Bega Street mm. area, which is where the cell phone was pinged. Weird. Yeah, but it's crazy how this works out. Um, so Graham Dwyer is a piece of literal dog shit. I am is he not. David? Yeah, he's David. I am not going into his life history. Um, He's just dog shit. We'll just say that. Um, (laughs) So they didn't want to scare Graham off. They wanted to gather all this evidence first because didn't have a cause of death at all. Yeah. They they weren't able to determine a cause of death. Um, So they were confident they could pull records from that Nokia phone that they found in the reservoir. And it's uh, Nokia. So obviously they're able to because those things last forever. <laughs> Do you know, I've been holding in a Nokia joke this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had one. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. So on, they were able to pull stuff from that Nokia phone for being a year in a fucking ravine. Um, yep. They found only one contact on the phone called Master. So they needed to find this other phone. So they knew that Master phone existed and they needed to yeah. find it. And they assumed that it would be in that reservoir. And they were right. They found it in the reservoir. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, so on it, they were able to pull the stuff off of it too. So they they called it their slave and master set of phones because that's what the 
in the master phone that's what this the, it's very professional of them yeah her number was called slave so that's why they called it that <laughs> Yeah, so they were able to determine that the text on these phones started when the text on Elaine's normal everyday iPhone stopped. So when those text messages before where they saw them and they said it stopped a few months ago because yeah. they got new phones. Oh, he probably got them. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he's, I don't he's like He's been that. planning this, yeah. However, the phones, they weren't registered to Graham, but they were able to get movements of the phone and actually match it to Graham's movements in his car. Um, so they did like an extensive search into this because it's fucking insane. It's absolutely insane how yeah. they, they nailed this guy. Um, it's crazy how much they can track just from a phone though. Like they knew yep. where his car was going. Ugh. Yep. So the, me up. Big Brother's always watching. Right? The um, So the phone, uh, they had a phone pinged at a toll booth booth and at the same time graham's car was at that toll booth they, they determined it through the cctv footage wow. so they were able to ping that master phone to that that tower and graham was at that toll booth at that time the phone was also pinged in front of elaine's apartment and second seconds later graham graham walked through the apartment entrance on the cctv footage so the thing with all of this is they have all of this evidence proving that the phone was his all of this stuff was his, but they can't prove she was murdered. So it's this all is like super circumstantial right yeah, now. This is where it gets tricky. But so, like he definitely did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So an arrest warrant was issued for Graham Dwyer on October 17th, 2013. Police arrested Graham at his home and took all of his laptops, his phone, etc. from his work and his home. Um, they interviewed him five times in 24 hours. So Graham denied knowing Elaine, and he was very like egotistical. Um, he was worried about how this Shocking. would, yeah, how this would affect his reputation and all this. At one point, one of the cops, Peter Woods, was interviewing Graham, and he just asked him about his hobbies, like trying to like make normal conversation, but also trying to tie him to those text messages. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham said he loved model airplanes and that he raced them and he got the pay cuts in that comment were brought up that he got a pay cut at work. Um, at one point, um, there was like text messages, um, about Graham's kid. So he just, Uh. his wife just gave birth. So that was brought up as well. That's so gross to think about. Yeah. So then by the third interview, they showed Graham the text messages um, and everything he admitted in the first interview in this like casual conversation where the topics were brought up in these texts. One of the texts that Elaine wrote was, I quote, I take it you're a new dad. And he replied, yes, a beautiful baby girl sent on the same day Graham's daughter was born. So they're like, this is coincidence. Yeah. Um, so when the police were searching Elaine's house, they also found blood and semen on her mattress. And during one of these five interviews they had, um, the forensics team ended up calling the cops and being like, yeah, that semen, it's, it's Graham's DNA matched completely. Yeah. So Graham had then changed a story, his story and said, I'm not an innocent man, but I'm not a murderer. Um, so with only That's one hour, say. yeah. So with one hour left in the interview, so they could only hold him for 24 hours. At that mm-hmm. 24 hours, either he goes free or they charge him. They charge Graham Dwyer with the murder of Elaine O'Hara. Um, in January 2015, the trial started, and it was absolutely batshit crazy. I mean, they had no idea Elaine, like how Elaine actually died. They had all of this great evidence pointing at Graham, but not evidence that said he killed her. They had just had that he was involved with her through BDSM, 
Like, yeah, they found her remains, but they weren't able to determine a cause of death. Mm-hmm. Um, in the trial, Graham was a cocky motherfucker. Um, <laughs> it's disgusting. He would laugh and smile and basically, like, thinking he was tough shit. He had no sympathy for the O'Hara family at all. Um, he would. He was a complete and utter psychopath. He I was. Hate him. Yeah. Um, so the trial was nine weeks long. The jury deliberated for nine hours, and Graham was found guilty. Oh, amazing. Yep. And he was sentenced to life in prison. So did they ever find out, like, they never found out how she died or anything, eh? No. So they don't know how she died, but all of the evidence, like, with the text messages and being able to ping where this phone is to where he was moving, they were able to track the phone and his movements all together. Um, all, All of the evidence is points that they had a relationship but the text messages are what really solidified him yeah. being guilty. Um, so to this day, Graham maintains his innocence and is actually appealing his sentence. His Dirt legal pig. team, yeah, his legal team is trying to prove that the phone data was invalid and illegal based on some acts that were passed in 2011. So the right to privacy, that's what these acts Fuck go your about. privacy, Graham. <laughs> if it's upheld, <laughs> it could impact the admissibility of the phone data in this case. So all of the text oh, messages, no. all of like the, the pings and everything. So, and this case heavily weighted on text and phone data. So like if it's upheld he's free oh no i hope that doesn't happen yeah so isn't that crazy so i don't know but it's a crazy case do you have a theory i do so but currently the the appeal is on hold so it hasn't happened yet he's still in jail so i don't know what's happening but i just wanted to say i suggest watching um secrets of a psychopath i got all of this information from here it's an amazing documentary um go watch find it again youtube <laughs> youtube okay yeah it was on like um a C- it was like a cbs documentary on tv okay. in, in ireland i'm gonna um, watch it yeah so it's pretty good it's like a part it's a three-parter um they heavily 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 go into the trial like his wife had to testify um they had um a lady testify from the states that's he apparently he told her that he wanted to kill elaine and that he was going to kill oh. her and all this stuff like she testified in court for against him i feel like this is proof like i feel like we're pretty solid here there was a lot of evidence so definitely go watch this because i could sit here for three hours and keep talking about it see it's so hard it's so hard (laughs) i cut out all of the all of the um trial stuff um so yeah definitely go freaking watch it because it's insane and they go so in depth and it's just such a good documentary about it um her family's pretty happy that with the outcome of course but yeah. also extremely upset. I think I don't want to say it in case he tries to sue us. But I think a he did big it. old allegedly. Yeah, my opinion. All of the evidence is directed at him. That's yeah. my opinion. I even to though they play can't... devil's advocate, uh, especially in a BDSM relationship where it's not healthy, it's not done properly. Mm-hmm. It could have been an accident. Yeah, you know what I mean, like so this whole time i've sort of been thinking like their whole game plan for the night was like let's hang you off this bridge yeah for whatever like whatever um and then something happened there perhaps yeah that caused her death maybe but also he could just be a creep bag and just you know there's a lot of him talking about i want to murder someone yeah i want to stab someone like it's not and looking good for you, Graham. <laughs> I didn't include a lot of the text messages because there's a ton of them. 
But at one point, one of his texts read like along the lines of, um, if anything were to happen to you, did you tell anybody about us? And she was uh, like, no. And he was like, okay, good. Keep it that way. So okay, he said yeah. a lot of things that pointed that he was going to kill her. I mean, he texts not he, saying uh, first degree, but uh, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's a, not the second one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of text messages hinting at the fact that he was going to kill her. It was in the same way. It seems um, pretty planned. Yeah. yeah, very planned. The printout of Kruger Woods was at her home. Yeah, and she was found in Kruger. It's not Woods. looking too good for you, Graham so yeah that is that was so interesting the really tragic and sad i love the story. sort of uh like the the puzzle nature to it like the yeah yeah that was that was cool that was a good one good job oh thank you yay well this was fun it was great i had to obviously do my first one in ireland yeah so. she told me it was ireland i'm like a fucking course it is <laughs> i don't know obviously. why i thought she would do anything else <laughs> my, my first thought was like maybe she would do one of the like uh like the big classic ones because i have still not done one uh, I thought maybe you're gonna do like one of those, but yeah. I I should have known it was. <laughs> <laughs> this one was just crazy, and she seemed like no, such a good. sweet fucking girl, and she just this got was it. fun. Yeah, we hope yeah. you guys like it too. Yeah, let us know, but go watch that fucking documentary because it's it. unreal and it's so cool. But yeah, <laughs> the end. yeah, the end. If you want to come hang out with us on social media and talk to us about these two crazy freaking cases about murder and human combustion. You can find us We're on... We're such fun people. We are. <laughs> Happy Monday. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at a spooky hour podcast. You can find us on Twitter at spooky hour. And you can email us if you have something, a story you want to hear. Or you have any stories you want us to cover. Let us know. Um, you can email us at the spooky hour podcast 666 at gmail.com. I am going to put all of our social media and, and email into the show notes of this episode because Smart. i just thought about it right now so you're Smart. welcome yeah business lady right here <laughs> because apparently i talk too fast and no one can understand me which is i don't know why you guys are listening to me so hi <laughs> i understand you perfectly <laughs> um but yeah that was fun let us know if you like this switch up thing should we do this more often perhaps yeah. i had a lot of fun perhaps i'm just i'm gonna get grosser and grosser every week just so you know <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna torture me now this is gonna be fun yeah well thanks for listening friends yeah we appreciate ya. and i guess we'll see uh hang out next week stay spooky y'all stay spooky